We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into another edition of Pete's Pigskin Preview presented by Walk-On Sports Bistro. I'm Neil McCready. That is MPW Digital Football Expert Pete DeWeese. It's been a little, been a minute since we uh, previewed the Egg Bowl on the uh, day after Ole Miss uh, lost to Arkansas. It's been like three weeks or so. So getting you ready today for Ole Miss and Texas Tech in the uh, Tax Act Texas Bowl, Tax Act Texas Bowl in uh, NRG Stadium there in Houston, December the 28th, 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. It's the Rebels and the Red Raiders. We'll talk about uh, the Red Raiders' offense primarily here on the show. We might touch a little bit on their defense. There's another topic I want to get to with Pete here in a moment. But first, I want to tell you that we're brought to you by Walk-On Sports Bistro. They put everything they've got into bringing new game day with the taste of Louisiana. Dig into their mouth-watering, made-from-scratch Louisiana cuisine, po'boys, gumbo, voodoo shrimp, uh, the ruby redfish. Had that last Saturday uh, in between soccer games. Fantastic. You can also enjoy fan favorites like Juicy Burgers, Fresh Salads, 70-plus TVs, more than 40 ice-cold beers on tap. Uh, order online at walkons.com or on their very convenient Walk-Ons app. If you're in Oxford this holiday season, if you're in Ridgeland, please make sure that you stop by one of those locations and uh, tell them how much you appreciate them sponsoring Pete Show and all of the MPW digital content. Pete, how are you? I'm great. Great. Glad to be back and doing this again. All right, we'll get to Texas Tech and Ole Miss in a minute. Speaking of Texas Tech, one of their former coaches, Mike Leach, uh, most recently at Mississippi State, uh, passed away on uh, Monday night. Our thoughts and uh, condolences to his family, to his friends, to all of the many people who uh, were touched uh, by uh, Mike Leach over the course of his 61 years. I had a question. I was thinking about something. Um <clears throat> There's been a lot of talk about his impact on college football, and obviously it was profound. Uh, what he did with Hal Mummy at Kentucky, uh, took that on the road to Oklahoma as an offensive coordinator, to Texas Tech, to Washington State, and most recently to Mississippi State. But I was thinking about how it wasn't that long ago, really, in the scheme of things, that if you went to a high school game, even in a state like Georgia or Texas or Louisiana, it's a whole bunch of eye formation, some wing tee, hell, some wishbone. It was what coaches knew, right? It was the one thing they could kind of teach. They ran it. It didn't really translate to the college game, but it worked at the high school level, and the coaches knew it, so that's what they taught, and that's what they did because they, they wanted to win, obviously. And over the years, and again, we're not talking about 50 years here, we're talking about 10, 15, 20 years. You saw a lot of passing schematics come into play. The high school game changed. And I think if you trace it back, and please, Pete, tell me, no, Neil, you're wrong, and then we'll get on with the Texas Bowl. But I think a lot of it can be traced back to Mike Leach and Hal Mummy and those guys with the air raid and a lot of air raid principles that it's not a super complicated offense, and high school uh, coaches, I'm not insulting high school coaches here, but they, they don't work with elite college talent. You get what you get, right? You, you, know, you, you hope you get a bunch of good kids, and you hope that a bunch of kids who care, but 
if they're not a whole bunch of athletes, you can't exactly go, Hey man, I need you to run faster. No, he grew up in the damn district. Okay. Um, that's who you got, but you were able to teach that and make it work and stuff like that. And I think if you look at the progress of high school football, I think a lot of it can act absolutely be traced back to Mike Leach. I, without a doubt. I think not just in certain regions, but throughout the country, you will find that that most high school football coaches will tell you that Mike Leach's impact on the game of football at our level, as well as up the ladder all the way now to the NFL, um, was was profound. I mean, um, you know, the, the funny thing is, like, very little that they were doing in that air raid offense that Mike Leach and how mommy and these guys put together was new. A lot of it was stuff that Leach had taken from Lavelle Edwards and Norm Chow at BYU. And it was about how he found the way to do it. It was the way that they crafted their system and it was how they taught it and how they repped it and how they drilled. And, and one thing that, that I think set them apart and one of the things that set Leach apart just in general um, he wasn't hiding it from people. I, I, it was probably 2005 or 2006 when I first got my hands on a PDF of an air raid playbook. Um, and, and, you know, and started trying to learn some of it myself. And you look at the state of Kentucky. I mean, when, when those guys that came to Georgia about Austin state, um, in and out, fairly quick with great success jumped to Kentucky made an imprint in the state of Georgia but when they got to Kentucky they really changed the way that high school football was played throughout that state suddenly everybody and it was because of the access the willingness to share the the open nature of of Mike Leach and the rest of the guys on that staff and it completely overhauled football in the state of Kentucky but it wasn't just there as, as as he goes to Oklahoma and then to Texas Tech. It just continues to grow. And you can walk up to any offensive football coach that's over 30 years of age and say, hey, what's six mean? What does 92 mean? What is 95? And they're going to tell you. And that is exactly what Mike Leach was calling it in the Egg Bowl just a few weeks ago. And, you know, it's, it's, I enjoy watching them play and I'm not in that system, but I've studied the system and I love watching him play because his signals and he's talking as he's signaling. I can tell you what they're running. Like I, I may not know the exact in and outs, but just, you know, he literally holds up six fingers and he's telling the quarterback, we're running six. That's our four verticals concept. And, and, you know, he, he does this and he's telling you early and late. He's telling you the formations that they're running. And um, and so many people have have gotten in on that offense because he never really tried to hide it. Keep a few secrets, sure, right? But there was always information there. And because it became so teachable, I mean, Tony Franklin that was in that system turned it yeah. into an extremely profitable business. Um, where he sold his system to high school coaches. And so the air, air raid really just took off. But Mike Leach for a long time, he, he was, he was the champion. He was the guy in front that is how mummy, you know, ended up at Millsaps, right? Um, Leach was still climbing and ascending. And so I, I would venture to say that, um, in, in my lifetime and in particular in the lifetime of my career, now in almost 20 years, um, I can only think of one or two other people that might have had a similar impact on coaching at the high school level. Um, and, and that's, again, just his imprint um, throughout the, the the landscape of football is is of such great magnitude. And, and obviously you guys see what reporters are sharing and players and different people, and you see Kiffin and these guys – um, I can tell you because my timeline on Twitter is filled with high school coaches from around the country and my network of guys that I'm in group chats with hearing those guys and their stories about their times that they've spent with him, um, an opportunity they've had in the way that he opened their doors to them. Um, certainly the, the, the game lost a, a very unique 
but a very important ambassador. Because not all college coaches love hanging out with high school coaches. No, no. Some some will do it, but they get to yeah, they're too big for this and stuff like. And Leach, according to everyone I've ever talked to, was not that guy. He kind of liked hanging out in high schools and talking to people and seeing what was going on and asking questions and walking around field houses and looking at stuff. He just was kind of that guy. My my impression of him, and and he's not anyone that I ever met in person. Um, but, but my impression of him based on all the things that I've heard and read throughout the years, um, he's a guy that had to work hard to get where he got right. And he was intrigued and open to people that were working hard and to anyone that might teach him something. And regardless of what it was about, you know, if, if you were working hard, you were trying to better yourself, you were open to learn. And I think that was a big thing. When people came to him, they came to him to learn. And because he appreciated learning so much, he was reciprocal of 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 guys like me that would go in an effort to learn. But I also feel like, you know, some people, they, as much as they, you know, they like to learn and no matter what you go to them for, they're going to try to get, they're going to try to learn something in response. And I think that's kind of who, who he was to some degree. All right, let's talk about one of his former teams, Texas Tech and Ole Miss in the uh, Tax Act Texas Bowl. It's um, it's not the game Ole Miss wanted to be in. Uh, certainly, it's seven and zero. No one, if I'd said Ole Miss is going to the Texas Bowl, you'd have been like, "Come on!" Even at eight and one, you just said, "No, mm-hmm. doing better than that." And they were a win away from going to Florida and probably playing in the Citrus Bowl. But here they are in the uh, Tax Act Tax Act Texas Bowl. Against Texas Tech, Texas Tech sold a bunch of tickets. They're excited. Ole Miss has not sold a bunch of tickets. They're not super excited. On the field, though, should be an interesting matchup. I think Ole Miss is a three-point favorite. Tell me about the Red Raiders. You know, they, they're they an interesting makeup, um, even from their staff standpoint. You know, a head coach that very recently was a high school coach, one of the more successful high school programs in Texas. Um earned a lot of respect for what he did in that program, um, had an opportunity at Baylor, um, and in his sh- fairly short tenure at Baylor, served in two or three different roles, coached on both sides of the ball, um, but but had a name for himself in the state of Texas and obviously showed at Baylor what he was capable of doing at the college level. And so Texas Tech gave him a shot, and, and how he built his staff I think is interesting. Um, you know, his defensive coordinator is a, a longtime college football guy that uh, has been a head coach. You know, Tim DeRider was the, if I think I'm saying that right, he was the head coach at Fresno State. Um, he has been around. He was at Oregon as the defensive coordinator. Um, so he, he's been around quite a bit. He's coached some very good units um, and is obviously experienced in a lot of different ways. Um, the flip side of that, offensively, he goes to – one of the youngest, sharpest coordinators in the country, a guy that is literally from Lubbock, whose father was in the athletic department um, at Texas Tech, and a guy that um, had been a student assistant and then a GA at Texas Tech, and then kind of under, uh, under of course, a leech disciple and then um, in Cliff, and then, you know, had moved out of, I believe, Houston Baptist, where he was dynamic on offense, moved from there to Western Kentucky. And then after a short and explosive stint at Western Kentucky, right now back to Texas Tech. And so, you know, one of the interesting things about them defensively, you are going to see a lot of different looks. They are going to play a lot of cover one principles. It's not dissimilar from the things you've seen this season out of Auburn and out of Alabama and out of LSU, what they're trying to do schematically. Are they doing it with the same athletes that those programs have? Maybe not. Um, they're pretty. I mean, I, I watch their defense. I'm like, man, that, that jugger, he's he big. He's long. He can run. Like, um, but they, they are a defense that's given up points. I mean, um, they, they haven't exactly been dynamic, I think, um, you know, as a unit defensively. And so, um, you know, there have been some games they've played better than others, but they've been in some shootouts. Um, 
But their offense is ultimately what I think makes them go. And so the roots of what they do is the air raid. But it is, it is in some ways, it is the Mike Leach air raid that you watched a few weeks ago in the Egg Bowl. And in some ways, it is drastically different. It's it's kind of become this very smart hybrid. So what I thought we would kind of look at tonight is um, I, I watched – Primarily, I watched the last two games of their season. I watched the Oklahoma game, which was like a 51-48 shootout. It was an overtime game, right? Um, it was an overtime game. Yeah. And then I watched the Iowa State game, um, which was the week before. And then earlier in the season, I looked at some of their TCU game. Um, that was a close game until the fourth quarter when TCU exploded for 21 points and, and, and pulled away. Um, and I watched those games for different reasons. Um you know, watching one, a little bit of Oklahoma's offense because Ole Miss is familiar with what Oklahoma and Jeff Levy tries to do offensively, how he attacked uh, the Texas Tech defense. But I, I kind of focused and settled on this Iowa State game and, and in particular the matchup of the um, the offensive unit for Texas Tech versus the Iowa State defense because Iowa State plays the three-high, three-two-six defense, it's where Ole Miss went to learn the roots of this defense, and it was a, uh, you know, it, it was a cold night. I can tell you that just by looking at it. I can't tell you much else about the weather that night, but it was a low-scoring game. I think it was fourteen-seven, fourteen-ten. Um, so I wanted to see how does Texas Tech attack a defense that is similarly structured to this Ole Miss defense. Um, and so that's kind of where I thought we would uh, focus a lot of our energy um, tonight, okay? So I'm going to kind of jump around to a, a couple different points in the game, but this is actually the start of the game. Now, this game is is in Iowa. Um, of course, it's not not Neil's favorite place in Iowa, but it is, of course, in Iowa. It's very nice um, people, lovely, lovely town. It's not but, Iowa City, but look, Ames is, Ames has a, 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 Ames is not. They they are lovely corn fed people they in are. Iowa. They are. Um, so one of the things that that a lot of people like when they study last year's Western Kentucky offense, this year's Texas Tech offense, they do a really good job giving you some interesting formation variations giving you motions all to run their base stuff, but to try and get you moving and thinking in different ways. So, you know, one of the things that they do is they come out again, how is Oklahoma, or excuse me, how is uh, Iowa State in their three, two, six? How are they going to adjust the back end? That's what we've seen all season with the Ole Miss defense is how do they adjust the back end of the defense to fit the run and handle the different looks, however the offenses are choosing to create gaps. So what Iowa State does is uh, is well, actually what what Texas Tech does is they come out in an unbalanced set. So both of these receivers to the bottom of the screen, they've got three receivers to the left, one H back to the right of the offense. The uh, because there's no tight end on the line of scrimmage, both of the outside receivers to the left have to be on. You've got your five alignment plus two outside receivers to give the seven mandatory players on the line of scrimmage. So this number two receiver, the guy in the middle, is actually ineligible. The guy, the number three receiver, who is off the line of scrimmage, is still eligible. If you play two over three or three over three, they are going to throw bubble screens outside to this guy all game long. What Iowa State chooses to do is put four defenders over these three receivers which, of course, lightens the run box now for um, for the offense. Now, I have not been blown away by Texas Tech's offensive line, especially in the run game. But where I talk about this being a version and a, 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 having been birthed from the air raid, this is a team that wants and is willing to run the football. Um, looking at it real quickly, you know, they average – almost 40 rushing attempts a game. Um, and, you know, some of those come late in the games where they've been up. But even in this game and in the Oklahoma game, they are still trying to run the football. Now, they were not always overly effective uh, at the quarterback position this year. They played three different guys, one's in the portal. The quarterback you see in these clips is the guy that started the last two games. Um, he's the guy that I anticipate Ole Miss seeing 
primarily in the bowl game. Um, number 12, Shouse. senior, uh, yeah, Shouse. So uh, he's who I expect to see. Okay. And so, um, he, he does some good things on film, not great from an athlete. You know, he's not a big runner, right? He can run some, but that's not really what they want to do. So they're going to use him in a lot of RPO game when they do want to run the ball. So here they're going to do something. And I'll be honest, a lot of the things that they do are really close to what you see Ole Miss do offensively, which I think that's an interesting part of this matchup is there's some similarities in how the two teams want to attack. Ole Miss is more diverse in the run game, but some of their usage of other things is there, there's some similarity. So they're going to run a zone to the right of the offense, and they're going to bring the H back around for the backer. The quarterback gets the math and knows right now, because they have four over three, that he needs to hand this ball off. If the box numbers look differently, instead of running the traditional screen that most teams run, they're actually going to run a slant with this inside receiver and give the quarterback an easy RPO read to start the game. They'll do quite a few things from these kind of unbalanced and oversets where they try and stretch how you're going to fit things defensively. And you can see the stress that it puts on this 3-2-6 that that, that, uh, Iowa State is running. They force you to get those overhang defenders. They force you to stretch the safeties. And then they force the ball back to where those players have been removed. And it turns into a pretty easy four, four four-and-a-half-yard gain um, for the offense. So I would anticipate seeing some funky oversets, things like this. Um, I think you'll see bunches out wide and stacks out wide for the same reason, to try and manipulate both the box structure and the safety structure. You can see right here it doesn't play out cleanly because of the movement of the defensive line. And I do think that is one thing that will be key for Ole Miss's success in this game. The more I see the teams move their front, and stunt the defensive line and maybe bring pressure from different spots, the more the more I see the offensive line struggling to, to handle it. So I, I hope and anticipate seeing a lot of movement, much like you see here out of Iowa State's line. You see them slanting number nine, the right side in, and it really you know could have been a much bigger play, but because of the active nature of the front, they're not able to sort it out. The ball ends up having to bend back just a little bit wider, ends up kind of saving the defense a couple of yards. Okay. Now, fast forward two plays, they end up losing a couple yards on second down and end up in a third and eight. So now this is where the air raid routes really come out. Okay. This is a A1 day one staple of the air raid that is just six. That is what Mike Leach would call it, six. It is a four verticals concept, okay? When you're in a three-by-one formation like it is here, you've given landmarks to your receivers. So your outside receivers are going to work a landmark on the bottom of the numbers. If they can outrun the corner, they are going to stay on that track and they're going to stay vertical. If that corner turns and bails to take away anything over the top, He's going to push to his assigned depth, probably 10 yards, 12 yards, and he is going to snap his route off, and he is going to give his numbers to the quarterback, and it just becomes like a simple stop route or comeback route. Your inside receivers operate off similar rules. Because they're in three-by-one, the base way to do it is the, the the all the inside receiver, the number three guy, is going to be working to the opposite hash as his landmark with the ability to bend it and stop in any hole once he clears the sticks. And at the same time, this number two receiver, the slot receiver, is going to be working right outside his hash with a similar rule. If he feels like his defender is bailing out of there, once he gets to the sticks, he's just going to stop and have the ability to show his numbers to the quarterback. So from a quarterback perspective, right, they're teaching him his progression. It could be based off of coverage. It could be based off of how the play is called. But he is going to isolate a defender and then scan away from that defender. And if at any point he sees a free runner vertical or a defender that's bailing deep, 
he is going to try to take advantage and just put the ball basically where that defender has left the voided space. So you can see here, you're actually going to see, I believe, the slot receiver, the second guy in, in their trips to the right, is going to push to the sticks. And you'll see as the safety gets depth, he's simply going to put the brakes on and try to settle for the first down. Okay, boom, puts the brakes on right there, comes back to the ball. Now, they got on this particular play, they got Iowa State to jump. He knows the nose is off sides, so he sees a one-on-one to the outside and he takes it because he knows it's a, it's a free play that he's going to get to turn around and replay the down. Otherwise, I would be willing to bet that they would prefer. He's not going to work down here to the boundary because he sees two over one, right? You've got a guy that could potentially be bracketed. So he's going to be looking for this crosser to this seam in most scenarios. And right there, what they probably would like to have seen him do is take the slot receiver right now as he settles down throw that ball on his outside shoulder and Texas Tech has a first down to change of moving. But I think because they jump here, he goes ahead and he takes the shot. They have multiple variations of this exact concept that they will run. They will switch the outside guys, keep the same rules, all the structures the same, but now you've switched guys from the line. They'll switch the two inside guys where he becomes the crosser and the third guy now works up the near scene. So they have the ability to be very versatile in this one concept. This is a bedrock concept of what they do. They probably have four or five different ways they will carry this into every game, and they are going to run them all. They will call this on first and 10, but if you get them in third and long, it is a big part of who they want to be as an offense. And I'll actually show you another variation uh, here in just a few minutes. Okay. Lane, um, the Lane next, Kiffin would not be happy with the crowd here. Uh, uh, no, he, he he would not. Um, they're standing. I'll give them that. At least some of them are. But you can see here in this this scoreboard shot, um, it is not exactly a packed house. And uh, I would not say that this group looks overly enthused. They're okay? cold. They, they are just a little bit chilly. And, of course, we know Lane doesn't exactly love that either. So, um so here they come out, they get a, a pretty traditional uh, three-by-one. It's very similar to the trip set I showed you a minute ago, except now you have to be able to communicate and recognize, and it's not hard, but this slot receiver is now eligible. They've moved the H back onto the line of scrimmage as a true tight end, so now you actually have three you have to cover, and again, the defense has chosen to cover it with four over three. So again, they're going to give him a very simple uh, RPO read. He's got numbers in the run game. He's going to hand the ball off. I would anticipate seeing a lot of these trips-type formations to try and make Ole Miss show their hand defensively. Um, the other one that I think you would see would be when they actually take this tight end and instead of putting him away from the trips, move him here and putting him to the trips. Ole Miss saw a lot of that down the stretch because LSU absolutely gave – Ole Miss fits from that formation. And so that's, again, another one. Keeping the same structure and the idea the same, right? If Ole Miss puts four over three, they're going to run the ball. If they put three over three, they're going to, you know, they're going to play based, you know, if the safety's deep, but it's three over three, they're probably throwing it out there. If Ole Miss is down playing man-to-man, then they're not going to RPO. They're going to take shots out of that, and they're going to try to take advantage of the one-on-one matchups. But I anticipate seeing a lot of these three-by-one type formations out of Texas Tech's offense, okay? Uh, they are, again, for a team that has air raid roots, they do some very interesting things uh, in the run game. They're not great at it. I mean, we're, you know, we're talking about they're averaging 39.8 attempts a game and only 152 yards. They're not exactly killing it um, in, in the run game, Okay. They're leading rusher on the season. They've got a guy at, I think, 670 yards, a guy at 601 yards. Um, you know, so they're, they're, they've had some success, right? But they are not the most dynamic uh, run game that, that Ole Miss has seen. But they'll do some things, again, with some nice little wrinkles. So I'm going to go ahead and skip to the end zone shot 
of this one. So here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Texas Tech has, uh, they've loaded their backfield. So they're still in the shotgun. If I can get this to load. So they've got two backs, one on either side of the quarterback, and they have an H back to the right of the offense. Okay. Out to the left, they have two receivers. So it's another technically another unbalanced formation. Um, Iowa State puts three guys out over the two receivers that are to the left of the offense. So what they're going to do here is they are going, they know right now that they have numbers. Now, if I draw a line straight down the center of the offense, the formation structure tells you that the defense is going to have numbers to the offense's right. To the left, because you've got the two receivers out there, you're banking on having having the math in your favor as an offense, especially when you pull offensive players over to get to what you want. So what they're actually going to do right here is they're going to lead with their tailback on the overhang safety. And then they're going to block down on the front side and they're going to run counter. They're going to pull a guard to kick the end. They're going to pull, I believe, the the H back for the linebacker. And they're going to hand it now to uh to to the the, the tailback. Uh, following his essentially what's become his three lead blockers. So they've gained the math by both formation and by structure of scheme. They're cracking on the safety. They're pushing out. And if they handle this any better, they they gain yards. It's a 15-yard run here. If they handle it any better on the front side and the ball can hit right here, he's one-on-one with the safety for a big gain. Uh, Iowa State's able to string it out a little bit. The corner tries to turn it back in. But they pop that. You know, this is an offense that's backed up on their own four-yard line. They pop it for 15 yards. And it's a scheme they came back to a handful of times in the course of this game because, again, it is a formation against this defensive structure where you have to make a decision defensively, and then they're going to use the actual run scheme of what they're doing uh, to attack you. This next one is one that, that they used a ton of variations uh, at Western Kentucky last year. This has become one of the more popular things 
to do in the NFL. Again, it is something we have seen Ole Miss do. It is something we have seen several teams do this year. But they're now presenting, again, it's another unbalanced set. They have a tight end and a wing or H back to the right with two receivers also to the right. Okay. So again, they're trying to stress the defense. How many guys are you going to put out over my two receivers? And then they're actually going to take this wing and motion him out. And all the quarterback has to identify is does the picture change? Right now, they're three over two. And one of those guys is about eight yards off the ball. When that tight end motions out, if no one else comes to join the party, you are throwing a fast screen to your outside receiver with two blockers and you're one-on-one with the safety that's lined up at eight yards. If anything about that picture changes, if this safety widens out, if a linebacker widens out, if a corner tightens down, he is safe to hand the ball off where they still have um, six guys to block a somewhat alleviated box, right? Because you're using, again, you're using the formation, you're using the motion to try and dictate what your numbers. So there you see the two safeties bounce over. There's the four over three that we've seen multiple times. There's the run play. He chooses to go ahead and throw it. Now, this is a this is a bad decision by the quarterback. What I think he sees is the corner back up. He sees, hey, the corner's not forcing this. He's not being aggressive. He backs up, so I'm going to throw it. But really, the execution is probably the biggest thing at fault here because you want to throw this ball. You want to teach your quarterbacks here, throw this ball into the line of scrimmage right to the upfield shoulder of the receiver. So he can go get it as opposed to having to go back and get it. Catch it going forward, get your shoulder square, and you'll notice the blocker is square. He is going to take on that defender and take him wherever he wants to go. Typically, that corner is going to be taught you have to go outside, force the ball back in. If that's the case, I'm going to try to stay square running to the sideline. If I can get outside leverage as the receiver, I'm going to. And then you teach the the receiver here as he catches it to get vertical and to cut off that block. But your goal, what, what most of college football will tell you, is the way we tell our receivers, anytime we throw a fast screen like this, our goal is four yards right on the sidelines. If I get there, it's a win, right? We, we, when you run the ball, you want 3.3 yards of carry minimum, right? Same thing. If I throw this screen, I want four yards or more. So he's either going to cut off his outside cheek and get to the sidelines to try to run, or if that guy is pushing wide to block, he's going to come and he's going to shave his inside cheek. He doesn't want to run straight up the field. He wants to chase his hip and then shave the inside cheek and now run to the sideline again to try and alleviate himself from all that pressure. But because he throws this ball back and it's not a well-executed throw, it gives the defense too much time to recover, and it ends up somehow being a two-yard gain. It really should have been a loss. Truth is here, though, the quarterback should have handed this ball off because, again, you're looking at six guys to block six with one defensive back deep to potentially defend the run. Again, they're not great up front. They don't particularly execute the run game element all that well. But numbers-wise here, it dictates he should have handed this ball off. So I'll be curious to see, does, you know, does Ole Miss invite them to run because they haven't shown a lot of prowess in the run game, right? Or does Ole Miss hedge their bets on, on athleticism outside? Or do they just play their game and they mix and they match and they give them different looks? And, and try to make them do a lot of different things. Um, kind of moving on, I said earlier, I expect to see a lot of bunches and stacks. Uh, Kittle, the offensive coordinator, um, or Kittley, rather, the offensive coordinator, they love getting in these stacked formations. Two receivers to each side, they will do a ton of things. They will tempo into these formations. We've seen Ole Miss play fast at times with a lot of tempo. Peck loves to do it, get into these stack sets and try to force you to dictate coverage. They used it a ton to get into their run game in this game. You go to the Oklahoma game, it's a lot more to get into some of their passing concepts. Um, but they love to get into these sets. Here, they're running a traditional GT counter, which has been one of Ole Miss's biggest plays this year. The difference is, and I'm going to flip to the end zone real quick, okay, when 
Ole Miss runs this play, Jackson Dart's reading it. If Ole Miss is running this, he is going to read the defensive end with the opportunity to keep the ball. They're not concerned with reading the end. They're going to block the end because the quarterback, again, is not the threat to run the football. That's going to be the biggest difference, I think, in these two running games, assuming this is the quarterback that we get. But even even if we see the Morton kid, I, I don't think you're going to see him. Um, you know, he's carried the ball more this year, um, but really not much more. I'm looking at the stats right now. He's actually carried it five times less um, than than this quarterback has. Okay. Um, kind of going forward again, getting into some some kind of funky formations. They start out here with a wing and a tight end to the left, two receivers to the right. They motion that wing over. It's a 12-piece set. These are the things that we've talked about that have given Ole Miss fits because you've presented seven guys at the line of scrimmage now for the for the defense to defend, and you're doing it with this 3-2 box. And so um, they're actually going to come out here and they're going to present this loaded box, this run-heavy, make-the-defense-prepare to stop the run, and then what they actually do is they use it as a way to get themselves on the perimeter in the passing game. This is a concept that they get to a ton of different ways. Again, this is a it's a it's a this is a second and twelve. So they want something that they're going to have a lot of confidence in. They're not trying to get the first down. They're trying to get half of it, get into a third and manageable. So they're going to get into a sprint out smash right here, where he's going to run a little outside release hitch. They're going to take the number two receiver. They're going to put him on a corner route, and all they're going to ask the quarterback to do, regardless of the action they use in the backfield, I've seen them do it off sprint out. I've seen them do it off bootleg. Quarterback's going to read the flat defender. If this corner bails to get to the deep route, he's going to get the ball out underneath before this other before the linebacker can expand. And if that guy jumps this underneath route, then he's going to look to take the corner over the top. This again. You think about, you know, as an Ole Miss fan, if you go back to the LSU game, how many times did LSU have success throwing the ball into the flat? Um, if Ole Miss plays with a similar scheme, I think you will see this type of concept several times against the Ole Miss defense. It's an easy read for the quarterback. He gets it out in rhythm. And one thing I will say is Tech has some size on the outside with their receivers, and they like those big bodies uh, yeah. matched up on guys. Yeah, he, he makes the catch, turns up field, and gets yards. Turns up field, gets yards. And, again, easy throw, easy concept. I've seen him do it off multiple motions, off of, again, play action, off a of sprint out. But the read never changes. Boom, right there, get it out in a hurry. And wherever he throws this ball is where the receiver's taught to turn. If he catches this ball, if the ball is thrown in his outside shoulder, which is really here, then you expect the guy to turn outside. Ball's thrown on the inside shoulder. You're expecting to turn inside. Here, I think because the ball's up, he feels the corner, and he goes ahead and tucks tight, turns away from him, and is able to you know pick up a couple extra yards. But they very quickly go from uh, second and 12 into a very manageable third down situation. A um, couple plays later, uh, skipping forward. Okay, so, you know, w- Showed you earlier the four verticals concept. They ran on a third and eight. This is on a second and nine. And they're going to get to the same concept. They're going to find another way to do it. One thing they have done in this game prior to this point is they've lined up in empty formations with nobody in the backfield, and they have run essentially jet sweep. They've brought the slot receiver from the weak side across and gotten into some run game. So they're going to take that same run game that they've now shown out of empty, and they're going to mirror it with the same four verticals concept that we talked about earlier. So again, you're you're asking the defense, you're asking all, and the big thing you're really trying to do here is you're trying to see will the secondary rotate and leave a void in coverage. But if you can get these underneath players attacking the run, you open up these windows in front of the safeties where you can attack with the football. So right here, when they get the motion, the backside safety stays put, and the frontside safety just has his eyes on the run game long enough 
and you see both linebackers because they pull an offensive lineman to show the power read run game that they were running earlier. They just enough to freeze them, and there's the receiver right there down the hash. Wide open. Wide open. You know, if he's if it's any better of a ball, he stays on his feet. He definitely scores right here. But again, it's taking these simple bedrock concepts that they do all the time, finding different ways to window dress in different ways. Yeah, that was a well designed play. Well designed, and again, it, it's it's not creating right. It's taking what it, it's taking what you're going to consider your bread and butter, and it's just throwing throwing another type of cheese on there. You know, it, it's literally keep it as simple as we can, make it difficult on the defense. And and that's what so many good offenses do. Now, just a couple more things to show you. Okay. One of the biggest things, because everybody started studying this offensive coordinator and the group that he was with at Western Kentucky after their success last year. And one of the biggest things I found when I studied them was their ability to use formations and do different things, but their creativity in the red zone is fantastic. Okay, so I'm going to give you an example right here. Um, this two two consecutive plays. This is immediately following the play that we just watched. They get a big play immediately. They're changing personnel, trying to stay in their tempo. Okay, so here's what's going on right here. We're going to block on the perimeter. The slot receiver to the right is going to come across like he's going across the formation, and then he is going to turn and sprint to the flat. Okay, there's a tight end on the right side. He is ineligible. He can, in theory, not go downfield on a pass play, on a run play. He can. Okay, so to the front side here, they are going to send this running back to go block, just like he did earlier in the the, one of the run concepts we looked at, and they're going to block power, traditional old school, tough nose power on the front side. The quarterback has two options, and I've given you a lot of lines on the screen now, so I'm going to erase a couple. He's got two options. He can either throw this little screen, this wall screen behind the line to the receiver in motion, or he can throw a shovel pass to this tight end that is coming behind the line of scrimmage. So they're giving him, it's just another version of triple option. Um, again, it's a, it's a play we've seen before. If you go back last season to the Ole Miss-Arkansas game, um, Arkansas used almost the exact same play in the red zone late in that game um, against Ole Miss. So as I skip to the end zone here, okay, the quarterback is going to put his eyes on who's running with the receiver. So his number one starts in motion, who's coming with him. So now he's probably looking at this safety. That safety is the guy that they can't block. So if that safety comes down to take his receiver, he's got a shovel pass underneath to the tight end. If that safety goes anywhere else, he's going to dump it off to number one and give it to him. Boom, there they are. They're expanding. He can't throw it. They're outnumbered. So he's just going to turn. He's going to give it underneath to the tight end, and he's going to turn up and and almost gets himself in the end zone and gets him down to like the one-yard line right there. But you can see the creative design. Get in a heavy formation. Do it with tempo. Try not to allow the defense to sub into a goal line personnel. Use motion. Move the quarterback. It's a great answer versus blitz because you can get the ball out right now if you've got pressure in your face. And if they don't blitz, it means they're expanding with that receiver, which means you get an easy underneath to your tight end. Okay? They don't score. So they come out the very next play. And I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of what they what they tried to do right here. So the the Philly special has been in fans' minds for several years now, right? We saw Philly in the Super Bowl several years ago, right? Where the Doug quarterback Peterson. walks off, Doug Peterson, right? Yeah. So what they're essentially going to do right here is they're going to fake the Philly special. Um. So I'm I'm going I'm to go to the end zone. So here we go. They hop in. They have shown essentially two tight ends to the left with the receiver fairly close. Okay, the only receiver to the right is about five yards out, and the tailback's in the pistol. Quarterback is walking up just like on the Philly special, and he is trying to get everybody's attention. Hey, look at me. 
you know, you, I'm trying to act like you don't know what I'm doing, but you do. You see the defense isn't completely thrown off, but now they're pointing. Everybody's saying, hey, here it comes, here it comes. Now they snap it to the tailback. And if you remember on the Philly special, they snap it to the tailback. He goes left, gives it to a receiver on a reverse. The receiver throws it to the quarterback. So this type of action, this is the type of stuff defenses are having to walk through and work at some point during their season. So here they show the same look, but now the tailback doesn't give it. But he's done enough to freeze the backside of the defense that he's able to find a cutback and get himself into the end zone. So they're taking a scheme that they know defenses are having to – maybe they've shown the actual Philly special, but they don't have to because every defensive coordinator in the country at some point in two days has put this on film and walked through it on the practice field. So, again, taking their base run – outside zone. They run outside zone 15 times a game maybe, right? Window dressing. Take what you do fairly well. Make it look like something different, and you keep it really simple for your kids. Um, and then, you know, this is really the last one I want to show. And, you know, this is – talk about the roots being in the air raid. This is air raid as air raid gets. This has become a staple for Mike Leach over the past few years. And so to go from kind of where we were earlier to, to showing now, when you talk about how might they attack Ole Miss in the passing game – um, you know, this is a second and 10 right here. So they're going to start out two receivers on either side, and they are going to motion the slot receiver from the left. He's actually their tight end, and he's going to motion all the way across. Okay. So this is a variation of what's known as a stick concept. Okay. Traditional stick concept, um, the outside receiver would be working what's known as an MOR. It's a must outside release. Quarterback is only throwing that if he gets a matchup and it's man-to-man. The inside receiver is typically running a stick route. And in the normal progression, the third receiver is working a flat route. One of the ways that Leach popularized running this concept in recent years was adding, making it a four-man concept. So what he does now is there's a post over the top, The motion man, instead of running in the flat now, runs a wheel route. The stick receiver still runs a stick, but he's pushing it deeper. Normal stick used to be at about five yards. He's going to run this thing to about eight. And now the tailback is going to be in the flat as fast as he can. So what he's essentially done is built a three-level read for the quarterback. If the safety drives down and attacks a stick, you can replace him over the top with the post. If the safety stays over the top and stays over top the stick route, you have the stick route underneath it. And if the linebacker drops underneath the stick route and takes away the stick route, you've created the third layer in your scheme with the flat route. So it is a very simple. He is only looking at that post route if there is not a safety that is aligned to take it away pre-snap. So how do you defend this? Because it looks to me like no matter as long as the quarterback reads the safety and the linebacker correctly, this is going to be a positive play, period. Everything can be defended, right? But everything can also win on the score, like on the whiteboard. Whoever holds the marker last wins. So here, if you're you're, uh, Iowa State, okay, what a lot of people would probably do against this type. And again, part of it is, do I have a blitz called? Because if I have a blitz called, it's going to affect my coverage checks. If I don't have a blitz called, what most people are going to do is you're going to get some type of a rotation from the secondary. So here, the middle safety is bumping guys over, which probably means that this guy is going to now be able to go to the flat with the back. What you hope offensively is that guy first doesn't see the tailback and instead runs with the wheel which leaves you a tailback wide open in the flat. But in theory, he goes to the flat. One of these two defenders, probably the inside safety, ends up here. He ends up deep. He ends up deep. And you now sort it out, gaining a fifth guy from the inside. So this safety structure, the 3-2-6 alignment, actually plays itself out versus this type of concept. But again, it's the chess match of am I in the right coverage? You can see right here what happens 
is just like I said, the, the what you hope is that linebacker that's expanding, you want him to run with the wheel. That's exactly what he does. So when he runs with the wheel, oops, I'm sorry, clicked. When when that guy runs with the wheel, if neither of safety comes down to take the stick route, and here they both stay deep, the stick is wide open. If either safety adds himself to the fit, so there's a couple ways you can do it, right? He can lock on, stay the curl player, and you now rotate over the top. Again, you build a box with your coverage, your sound, okay? You can rotate safety down to the flat, leave, actually be the outside safety, rotate the outside safety down to the flat, play deep, play deep with the middle safety, and now leave him on the stick. Again, you build a four-man box with a fifth guy coming, or you expand, bring him down into what they call buzz, okay, and now play deep with those two. So in theory, there's a lot of ways you can get to the landmarks you need to be in to defend it, but you use motion, you play with tempo, and you run it so much. I mean, look at the receiver. He knows right now. You can see the receiver. He sees that linebacker expanding, and he knows I can't go too deep. He is right now shutting his route down and expecting the ball. And honestly, this ball is out late, right? Mike Leach, if you go watch Rodgers do this at Mississippi State, that ball is probably moving now. That ball's already out of his hand. And that's just its reps, its timing, its experience in the offense. But regardless, this, you know, this is the the third or second, excuse me, this is the second time I've shown you a second and long clip. Both times, what have they done? They've tried to get into third and manageable. They don't want to be in third and long. Yeah, because so seven, seven, eight yards here and sets up a third and three, third and third, two. Third and manageable, right? So I showed you the sprint out earlier into the smash concept where they hit the flat. Showed you the stick concept right here. So I, I do think what that what he has shown as a coordinator, uh, not only this year at Tech, but last year at Western Kentucky, and I'm sure before that um, as well, is, is if you get aggressive, he will be aggressive. He has tricks in his bag to be aggressive. Um, and, and he's certainly going to tempo and take shots and do certain things. Um, but he's also going to play a brand of football that's built towards giving his kids success. You get him in second and long, he's not overly likely to run the football unless he feels really confident about it. So now you're talking screen, you're talking quick game, sprint out, things that get him into third manageable because he knows right now as an offense they're not built to live in third ball. Should absolutely be an interesting game. Again, Ole Miss, Texas Tech in the uh, Tax Act, Texas Bowl, NRG Stadium in Houston, December 28th, 8 p.m., uh, Pete, it's been a hell of a lot of fun this uh, this fall. Appreciate you doing it. It's been uh, easily the most successful video content item that we do. It's not even close. And uh, we do some other pretty good video content items, I think. And and uh, this one blows all of that away. People love it. They uh, they love you. They appreciate the uh, insight, the way you've taught the game over the course of, I don't know, what's it been, 14 or so weeks of, uh, yeah. of the show. So. Uh, Merry Christmas to you, to your family, to your little girl. I hope Santa Claus uh, comes and and spends some time at the Deweese house. I have a feeling that he will. Santa has uh, has already spent money and he will be spending time. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, that's good. That is good. So, uh, uh, happy happy holidays to you. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Thanks so very much for doing this over the course of the year, and also thanks to the people at Walk Ons Sports Bistro, especially in Oxford and Ridgeland, but Walk Ons everywhere. Walk Ons. Sports Bistro uh, bringing you everything they've got with the taste of Louisiana, 40-plus ice-cold beers on tap, lots of TVs. If you are uh, looking to get out of the house and watch some of the bowl games, whether it's the Texas Bowl or any other bowl, stop at Walk-Ons, have a beer, have an appetizer, a dinner, and tell the people there how much you appreciate them sponsoring Pete's Pigskin Preview over the course of the uh, 2022 season. Pete, I uh, we haven't talked about this, but I certainly hope we do it again uh, next fall. I, I, I look forward to it. I, uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate walk-ons and all the people that make this possible. I know I enjoy getting feedback um, from the fans. Um, I, I know people that have, have – I, I pick up Twitter followers every week, I think. Um, I don't, they're probably disappointed afterwards. 
Um, but I pick up a couple every week and I, I enjoy hearing back from people. So please, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's great to be a part of something. You guys do a great job. You put out so many great products. I listen to, to what I can, when I can. And, um, and I always enjoy what, what you guys do. And so to be a part of that, I appreciate you having me in. And, um, I, I certainly hope that, uh, we can, uh, continue to inform and entertain a little bit moving forward. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Thanks again so much. Enjoy the season. Again, Merry Christmas to you and your family, to everybody that's listening. Uh, we'll have uh, post-game coverage um, of some form. The game's not going to end till midnight. I don't know exactly what that post-game coverage is going to look like, but it will look like something at uh, rebelgrove.com, and then we'll have a uh, post-season show. Might even see if we can get Pete to uh, be a part of it. Post-season show sometime in the day or two after the uh, Texas Bowl. We're not going to do a post-game show at 1 in the morning. That's just nonsensical. We'll, uh, we'll, but we'll do something substantive and good and reflective of uh, the bowl game and the uh, the season as a whole sometime in the day or two after that. So, uh, again, Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy New Year, and we will talk to you again soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.